In this episode, I interviewed Adam Quigley. Adam is a head athletic trainer for LA Galaxy 2. Adam and I first met during my time with an internship uh, with the New Orleans Saints where Adam was working and then he has since moved on to pursue his passion in soccer with uh, the USL team, the San Antonio FC, and is now into the LA Galaxy 2 team. So within within this episode, we discussed two of the main field sport injuries with ankle sprains and hamstring strains. So couple of the topics we talk about within this first starting out with the ankle sprain is just we talk about immobilization versus mobilizing so if they're going to be in a boot afterwards or not we talk about kind of taping bracing we go through some general rehab progression uh, then we kind of talk about anything that he's found specifically to help his testing for when they go back kind of to sport then moving on to the hamstring strain, it's relatively similar. We kind of talk about that initial treatment, the kind of advice and progression he goes on, his kind of rehab progression with that. Uh, talk a little about a little bit about some things with um, sprinting earlier, uh, and then any kind of outcome measures that he uses for having the athlete return to that sport and performance. So, great episode on these different injuries with Adam's experience across um, multiple sports and um, just with uh, a couple different uh, viewpoints on things. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up to date, evidence based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, or any active person looking to improve their fitness or athletic ability. So please have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Adam Quigley, who is the head athletic trainer for LA Galaxy 2. So, Adam and I met uh, when I had my internship with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, we kind of kept in contact then. And so I just I wanted to have him on because uh, for soccer especially and, and field sports, I thought two really common injuries are your hamstring strains and your ankle sprains. And so that's kind of be our topic today. So thanks for being on today, Adam. Um, if you want to first just kind of go over some general background on you, your education, sporting career, um, athletic training career, and then current position, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Patrick, for having me. I uh, was very excited to uh, see what you were up to and reconnect and, and get moving with this. Um, yeah, so I, I'm from Maryland originally, out on the East Coast uh, by Washington, D.C., and grew up playing soccer. Um, played soccer through the years in college at Salisbury University, um, in addition to doing athletic training as a bachelor's degree. Um, so I did my bachelor's there. Uh Became a certified athletic trainer from there after you know, playing four years of, of soccer. And then um, took time, went out to the University of Arizona as an athletic training intern with their American football program um, into the University of South Carolina, where I did a master's um, in advanced athletic training. So got a bachelor's in athletic training and now advanced athletic training. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but, but it really dove into the evidence-based medicine side of everything, you know, from emergency protocol to rehabilitation, um, to research. So I did, uh, a research project on injury epidemiology in uh, men's lacrosse, in collegiate men's lacrosse. So, um, put out a study and published, which was awesome, you know, to see from an athletic training standpoint, the work and, and effort we put into some things, um, gets acknowledged and published. So that was awesome. Um, but so during my two years there, I worked with, uh, USC sports medicines so in the orthopedic clinic. And so it was really cool there to see 
um, both injuries walking in, but then also I was able to scrub in and since it was a university system, scrub in and support in surgery. So I got to see the actual ins and outs um, within an orthopedic surgeon's world, um, as well as how an athletic trainer um, stands in there and supports them in that. Um, and I worked with the South Carolina United Battery Academy, which at the time was a U.S. Development Academy or U.S. Soccer Development Academy t- uh, team. And so I uh, worked as an athletic trainer with them as I could on the side. Uh, and that was really my first um, true clinical experience with soccer. You know, playing soccer, I was never able to actually work in season soccer. Um, so that was really where I noticed that, you know, it, it came second nature. And working with the athletes, working with the parents and having that background, I, I found to be very, very uh, prominent and, and helpful for me. Um, and so my second year at South Carolina worked with University of South Carolina American football. So Gamecock football in the SEC. And, um, that was where I, w- I was really first exposed to the combination and integration of sports medicine and athletic training with strength and conditioning. And how even though, you know, we were working in the stadium and the weight room was, you know, 50 yards, six yards away the conversation for rehab with, with the athletes and also with the strength coaches was, was so, so important. Um, and so from there, uh, went down, took a seasonal assistantship position with the new Orleans saints. Um, and was there for about a year and a half before, uh, moving back into soccer, uh, professionally with San Antonio football club. So, um, I took that jump, that leap of faith into a, a full-time soccer role, uh, under Andy Thompson, who was our director of high performance, a, a Scottish lad who um, really, really uh, created awareness for me from a sports medicine standpoint of what sports performance and sports science was. And that's where, you know, I, I spent two years there as a head athletic trainer. Um, and that, that was incredible for me to really tune into uh, the whole spectrum of uh sports rehabilitation and, and the world of, of high performance um, that coming from a, a pure athletic training background in American football hadn't, I had never been exposed to that. Um, so working there, you know, two years of great experience. Um, that was a tremendously uh, amazing club to work for, you know, top to bottom being owned by the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA. We had resources and kind of a foundational base to work with the physios, the doctors, um, and, and even see from an athletic standpoint, what they did, um, you know, with Greg Popovich at the helm, um, seeing all of that was, was very, very eye opening, um, you know, for a world-class organization like that. And what, at this point, it's been three and a half months since I moved to Los Angeles to work with LA galaxy Two. um, I had a, a great six week stint before we went into quarantine. So, you know, I was able to see what the organization was like, you know, w- what it's like in person starting in preseason and then moving into the first two weeks of the season uh, in the USL, the United Soccer League, uh, the championship division um, for LA Galaxy 2 before moving into quarantine and, uh, you know, the whole telehealth world. So uh, that that's where we stand today. Um, I'm sure we'll dive into that as well, but yeah, so that, that's where I've been, where I've come and, uh, where I currently am. And I've been tremendously, uh, you know, thankful and grateful for the opportunity within the LA galaxy organization and, uh, very excited to see what's next for when we get the, uh, 
the pedal back to the metal and start moving. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, do you have a do you have a preference on whether we go with ankles or hamstrings first? Uh, no, whatever whatever floats your boat. All right, I guess we'll just go with ankles first. So, uh, again, I know it's it's hard with each each is going to be relatively different, but if it's just some yeah. general um, how you would generally kind of go about these. So I guess someone comes in with an ankle sprain. What's your what's your initial initial go to initial treatment wise? So the initial treatment comes from my eyes. It comes from an evaluation standpoint of evaluating how they're walking. Are they favoring it? Are they on their heel? They can't put pressure on their midfoot. Is it on their toes? They can't put pressure on their heel. Or is it one of those awkward hop step walks? Um, and see where that's from. And that's if they're actually, you know, coming into the, the athletic training area. Um, if it's on field, it's really looking at the mechanism. And even if it's in conversation from the evaluation part, um, seeing what happened, you know, was it contact, non-contact? Was there an additional force of being, you know, stepped on, tackled, or was it a divot, you know, a sprinkler? You never know. Um, and so, I mean, from going from a, a holistic evaluation standpoint, you know, injury history, is this a, a chronic ankle injury that they've had or have had in the past? Um, you know, I, that was my main injury personally, um, through the years I can, I can turn my ankle and feel a pop, hear a pop. Everyone's like, Whoa, what happened? And I can walk and run away from it. That's just where my ankles are. So, um, ankles for me have, have really taken a, a big, uh, focus point, um, because they can really derail people's, people's, uh, careers. Um, and being in, in soccer, the most common injury, um, as well as I'd say probably in most sport, the most common injury, um, they're, they're very important to, to have a system in place for. So, um, I mean, overall it's taking a look at, at how they're walking, taking a look at their range of motion strength, as well as how they, how they, um, present themselves. So is it swollen effusion? Is there any discoloration? Where is the swelling? Is it medial lateral? Um, even to the point of taking an actual picture, like a physical picture to have, to be able to have, um, you know, as I've grown it in this both professional world and in my athletic training career, I've noticed that taking a baseline where, wherever it is, you know, even if it's a week after injury, cause the player, let's say was in the off season, having a baseline, both physical, observational, subjective, objective, um, and starting there, documenting there, um, because it's always, it's always, you know, from a research background, important to see where you started. So then you have a, a you know, a ground zero to see where you've progressed to or regressed, mm-hmm. right? If that were to happen too, um, rather than just, yeah, you know, I, I think it looked, uh, a little more purple today. It was more of a magenta. Like, all right, let's actually look at what we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think another hot topic that I've kind of heard a decent amount on to post this acute injury, are you mobilizing or are you going to keep it immobile? Um, some people even will brace that I've heard. And what's your opinion on that? Great question. Um, for me personally, I don't think it's a black or white uh, concept. Um, one of the, you know, we, we can get into my personal athletic training philosophy, but one of them is uh, movement is medicine. So both for the mind realizing that, you know, they're not mummified with what's going on. Um, but also is it safe to move? So, um, if it's something that, that hurts to walk and they can't bear weight, 
okay, then, then maybe we do need to immobilize it to let it heal. Because naturally, you do have to respect the, the tissue. And even if it is movement and mobilization, it's still within a, a respect standpoint, so not pushing it too far where the pain is intolerable. Um, and then, depending on the case, it, it's, you know, from a doctor's standpoint, are we sending them to a physician? And, you know, from a where our a- actual athletic training room is, you know, there to their car, we're looking at 200, 300 yards of walking. Mm. So even just from that, like, are, are we <laughs> providing even more stress and load to that joint that it doesn't need prior to an x-ray, MRI, whatever it is? Um, so I think it's case to case, but it, it really depends on the, the injury at hand. You know, is it just a, a mild sprain where the ligamentous tissue seems to still be intact or is it something that, you know, a complete blown out grade three, you know, lateral ankle sprain that if you push into inversion, it's going to dislocate, you know, like yeah. there's that too. So that would obviously need to be more on the side of immobilization and not speaking in absolutes. I get that. Um, but yeah, yeah I, th- I think that it's dependent on the injury and honestly from, I think a big piece of this and, and what I I'll, continuously touch on is what is the foundation or system you have in place? Mm-hmm. You know, if the player can't walk, pick a side, do your research and are they going to be immobilized or not? Mm-hmm. Because it's contextual, probably most importantly, is there a, you know, are we in the off season? Then we may be able to immobilize it for a little longer or we need to mobilize it to try to get the swelling out. So yeah. it's, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, yeah. but it's certainly a, uh, it's, it's, uh, let's yeah. see what we have. Yeah, def- definitely most of these are probably going to be it depends, but I just wanted kind of your experience and opinions on yeah. it. So I guess kind of the next thing I want to touch on is um, post this injury, they, they've um, they've you know gone through this acute stage and now they're um, trying to go back into play more. What's your opinion in, or do you like or how long do you like to tape and brace, whereas some people will – you know, continually tape and brace. I know it depends on the season and again, the injury and all that. But if you, you know, if you continually brace, you're going to lose some of your muscle and just your ability to control it yourself. So what's your kind of opinion on that? Yeah, good question. Um, so dealing with, dealing with the, uh, the football athlete, um, soccer, that is most of the time they don't like having anything in their shoe, you know, even to the point of, they don't want to double sock. So, it's really working with the athlete of what's safe and what's putting them at risk and being transparent and honest of, you know, look, it, we need to tape your ankle right now to provide additional support. Or, you know, if this is something that's constant and you don't want to come in and see me every day, like, let's get a brace. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something obviously that, you know, brace overall holds the stability and then you can tighten it as needed um, rather the tape you know, through the session weekends. And I know there are some studies that show that after, you know, 10, 15 minutes, the tape really doesn't limit any range of motion. Um, so when taking that into consideration uh, from a general progression standpoint, um, generally the, you know, I personally like to tape whenever I feel the player could utilize the additional stability to progress but I also take into consideration if we were to not tape them, are they not going to be able to do it? Because then it creates almost like a falsehood of progression of, 
well, yeah, when you brace the player, like, yeah, if we if we brace this player's MCL into a super serious tape and, and MCL knee brace, then, yeah, they may be able to run, but then you put them back into a game, and is it even tolerable? So um, from an ankle standpoint, I know that I, myself and, and our performance coach, Johnny Alcaraz, go back and forth on, um, you know, whether or not to tape or not to, to see if the athlete can progress um, as tolerated and it's safe. So I think that overall it's most important to um, make sure that the intrinsic muscles of the foot and then the extrinsic muscles of the ankle are uh, are stable and, and uh, I guess, properly strengthened to be able to handle what, what the athlete is going through. And then so for, I guess, just a general rehab progression i like i said i know it's super different for everyone but do you have the kind of big things you focus on um throughout this rehab progression such as first trying to get range of motion back then focus on strength and kind of etc along that lines or kind of what are your your big focuses throughout this um initial rehab process for the ankle yeah so actually during this uh during this downtime, we've built out a a skeleton of a of a progression for really all joints and all injuries um, to be able to follow. So we make sure that we're not going to skip anything, and that we have functional tests and we have objective findings to measure um, from baseline through progression. So one of them for the ankle would be a knee to wall test and, and seeing the uh, the dorsiflexion flexibility um, because that that will be a limiting factor in in their running abilities and um, proprioceptive abilities too. Um, so yeah, I mean, kind of going off of what you touched on range of motion, going into strengthening, um, proprioception thrown in there as well. Um, but I, I think that one of the, the big picture views is keeping them doing something, mm-hmm. whatever that is. So if, if it's them running, you know, on an alter G and they can do that early on, or even if it's them walking, or even if it's them, deloaded you know in an ultra g doing calf raises but whatever they can do from a tolerable standpoint that we're not um being aggressive on the tissue you know where it could damage it and also you know they're able to to handle the the actual whatever the exercise is then yeah putting them into in the ultra g if we have a pool um you know we don't have a hydroworks uh or on underwater treadmill at our facility. But, you know, in, in past places, I've used that and put them in that to both deload the ankle, but also um, they're able to run. Hmm. You know, they're able to jump. They're able to do plyometric work that is pain-free, and it's probably, you know, depending on the injury, a week or two before they could do it on on land. And then additionally, as, as this whole integration uh kind of plan gets put into place it's working with the strength and conditioning coach performance coach sports science whoever it is to keep them fit as we can you know cardiovascularly whether it's uh you know upper body on on a bike or you know uh the vertimax thing um i think that's what it's called the uh it is the rower the vertical rower thing that yeah the skier rows or uh even a a normal rower Mm mm-hmm you know, doing that, if, if they can do that single leg, if they can do that, you know, with potentially a, a block on the foot, so it's stabilized. Um, but, but I think that one of the biggest things with this is treating the athlete as a whole and keeping them involved in the team setting. If it's in film, if it's in 
you know, general team outings, just keeping them focused in where they're able to really dive into their injury rehabilitation, but also mm-hmm. they're staying fit, they're staying engaged. Because one of the one of the pieces I've seen that happens is where re- you re you know, I rehab the player back and they're ready to go, their ankle is ready to go. Yeah. But is their mind ready to go? Or does is it a big game coming up and they know they're going to be playing against this certain player on the wing that they know is going to get stuck in and they're lacking confidence in their ankle? So it's really treating the the athlete as a whole in their entirety to make sure that they're focused and and confident in their ability to get back because there's there's been multiple times through through you know, the, the years of, of my professional career where you, you speak with an athlete, Hey, are you ready to get back? They're like, yeah, you know, I'm good to go. Um, and then you put them back onto the field and they start to kind of inch back (laughs) and, and feel a little more conservative. And and so I think that overall it's utilizing the numbers and metrics and, and objective quantifiable data that we have to both show the athlete, look, you're ready to get back or look, you're not ready to get back, it seems right now. And yeah. being transparent with that, that it's safe for them to get back and that we're not putting them at risk. Yeah. Do you do any tests specifically, whether that be questionnaires or other outcome measures, to try and quantify that for them? Um, any ones that you do kind of repeatedly? Um, yeah, so we've, we've actually put into, into context of different questionnaires for different injuries. Um, so for the ankle one, I do not remember the name off the top of my head. Um, give me a second. And I'll tell you which it is. Uh, but, but it's basically just an objective finding. How are you feeling? Are you confident? Yeah. You know, where does that stand? And, and using that both for, you know, first baseline work and then also moving forward, you know, is it, is it something they can, they can move forward. With, uh, uh, it's a foot and ankle disability index. Do you test that everyone preseason and then kind of use that as a baseline throughout the season? Um, no. So that that's specific to ankle injuries. So we'll use okay. that as a baseline assessment and then retest every few days. Um, from a preseason physical and then also screening standpoint, um, between utilizing a movement screen and then the need to wall test. That would yep. that would be where we would we would be able to evaluate uh, bilaterally, and then also um, from their original preseason baseline. Do you do you implement any kind of risk reduction type training within your um, the beginning preseason stuff, or throughout the season that's kind of ongoing? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but depending on on how they screen in preseason and their injury history, they have a an injury prevention plan um, created and customized for them, which seems to be kind of a hot topic. IDP, whether it's a, you know a yeah. individual development program or, or injury prevention plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we put them into buckets, kind of, of what they're at risk for um, through injury, and then also just their their biomechanics. I'm working with the second team. Our players are, you know, between the ages of 16 and 24. So for the most part, their injury history is like dramatically different than the first team from just years on field and Mm -hmm. years of exposure is just different. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we have that. And then, you know, Johnny also involves that type of work in their on field warmups. Okay. Um, 
you know, as so part of their warm up, they'll do yep. yeah, proprioceptive hops, plyometric work. Yeah, so building yeah. in built in their kind of warm up and strength conditioning program. Um, do you do anything? So if someone comes in, or kind of like you had, when they kind of have those reoccurring, you know, ankle sprains, what uh, what do you do for players, kind of for that, or what's your main focus if there is one? I know again, it's kind of generalizing a lot, but if there is something that one thing you really try to focus on during that. Yeah, so um, I can't speak from an LA Galaxy standpoint because we haven't had that come up uh, yep. in my time here yet. But from a general viewpoint, um, it's working with them preventatively and putting together a maintenance program. So one, they feel engaged and strong about the injury, um, as well as uh, you know working with the sports scientist or, or performance staff to see, well, look, when, when are these injuries happening? Is it going to be in those more intensive, you know, smaller sided games where there are more changes of direction? So maybe, mm. you know, depending on the coach in that conversation, um, removing them from a block or, or, you know, an interval, depending on the, the terminology, an interval of that, allowing them to still get the exposure, you know, to a 4v4 session. But are we able to get the metrics and overall, like, training load elsewhere, maybe yeah. on an in a controlled setting or, you know, in, in a more extensive, larger, larger field. Um, because at the end of the day, training sessions are important, but that Saturday match or that Wednesday weekday match, that's what we're looking to get them to. Mm-hmm. And in conversation, I understand it is not a black and white picture. And, and yeah. oftentimes, you know, the conversations with the coaches and even management of look, we're, we're paying this player to play. <laughs> so if we have to constantly regress and and give this guy additional regeneration days like what are we doing here we're paying the we're paying the player to play but in reality as you said do we have any risk reduction as soon as you step over the line your risk reduction goes out the window and they can have you know intrinsic stability and even extrinsic of you know an ankle taper or or a brace but at the end of the day, if we can put together a plan to limit what we know to cause ankle injuries, right? Fatigue and past injury of past history of injury. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to use those two, then can we maybe minimize the amount of change of directions that they have, minimize the high intensity, um, small field work. Um, and, and that's conversation, you know, between yep. myself and, and, you know, I certainly have to tip my hat to uh, Frank Barone, who was our, a high performance coach at San Antonio because we had often, often, often a ton of conversations about, you know, look, this player has an ankle injury. This player we can get into hamstrings too. And we can say that if the player does this, they're certainly at risk as we touched on to injure. If they do not do this, I can tell you the risk of injury. If they're not training is is nullified, you know, but then obviously when they get back onto the field, is it a higher yeah. risk? So it's taking into consideration. There's no perfect equation to it. Um, but I, I think it goes back to setting a system, whatever that looks like for the club. Yeah. And, and going from there. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, that's all great advice. I know, like I said, I know a lot of these are questions are kind of not the black and white answers and they're kind of those gray, but it's, you know, getting those opinions from your experiences is, is beneficial. I think, um, do you think anything else you'd want to, or any other points you'd want to cover for ankles before we move on to hamstrings here in general? Um, 
the the only other little tidbit of things that I've noticed for from a treatment modality is um, dry needling, mm-hmm. therapeutic dry needling. Um, you know, I found good success with uh, if they have stubborn effusion, stubborn mm-hmm. swelling. You know, after a week or two, and their ankle is still big. You know, from a physiological standpoint, it it seems like that repair remodeling phase is happening. But, you know, you have, let's say it's a, an ATFL injury, but they have swelling posterior, they have swelling medially. It's like, man, we got to, we need to get that swelling out of there. So mm-hmm. using those little half inch needles and flooding the area to basically recreate, uh, I guess the terminology they use is microtrauma, mm-hmm. microtrauma to the area. It definitely, it's anecdotal evidence at this point for me, but. I have noticed some some great uh, progression with the swelling, and, and even from a range of motion standpoint, almost right away the player says, "Wow, you know," I, and we can even measure, you know, with a goni a goniometer, looking at man, they have better plantar flexion, dorsiflexion, inversion, eversion. Um, so you know, although it is swelling, um, I think it's almost like fifty fifty. The player either is more sensitive to the needles there or less sensitive because they don't feel it as well. Yeah. Or feel it as much from a, a neuromuscular standpoint, but yeah, I found that that um, if you have someone that's certified in in therapeutic dry needling or acupuncturist, um, you know, I found that to be uh, for that stubborn swelling, um, it, it certainly helped. Yeah, interesting, interesting point. Um, so for the for the hamstrings, I think it's going to be co- probably relatively similar, similar. Yeah question progression but i mean just the totally different injury so i guess kind of starting off here again what's um what's your kind of initial observation or initial treatment when they come in uh first with this injury how bad does it hurt how did it happen do you have a history of hamstring injuries um you know it even goes back to uh an old um I don't remember exactly who said it, and I don't, I don't want to give the acknowledgement to the wrong person, but they asked, I know a hamstring injury is bad when they have trouble sitting on the toilet. And I said, okay, so if they have trouble sitting on the toilet and they s- sit down and it hurts, all right, you know, it's, it's an objective finding, if you will. But um, it's evaluation. It's, I think that as I spend more time in the game of soccer, I see the relevance of on-field management of injuries and looking at accelerations in a game, looking at um, high-intensity distance. You know, I I can give uh, a good example of a past club I was at, and um, we had a player that never really had any soft tissue injuries, any muscular injuries, and um, it was in a game. uh, The field was soft. We... We're down a goal, so we switched into a three-back system. Um, they were an outside back, so obviously they have more ground to cover. Mm-hmm. And at halftime, he came over and he said, you know, Adam, what what's going on? Like, my hamstring is tight, so we worked on it. He felt better, went back in, and he said, look, if I sprint one more time, this was about in the 55th, 60th minute, if I sprint one more time, this thing is going. And so we it was the, one of the early games in the season. So, and, and he was a main starter. So we subbed him off and, you know, evaluated and, uh, per our protocol at the time, um, had an MRI done. It was a grade one, you know, strain. It, it wasn't a bad one. Um, 
But then we looked at his numbers on his uh, GPS numbers, and he had, you know, generally, I think sprints he would average five to ten in a game, and he was at like seventeen, at, you know, the sixtieth minute. <laughs> so, you we didn't have you know on field or, or one of the uh, the sideline um, modules to evaluate. Um, but looking at that and being an athletic trainer that had not really ever had exposure or awareness to that type of of technology, seeing that and looking at, oh, wow, you know, no surprise there yeah. that that he would have been at risk. Um, and so, you know, using those numbers and, and and that's why I find it so important to have a an open door, you know, transparent conversation with whoever is in that role of sports scientists or or high performance coach, if you have one, mm-hmm. and if you don't, you know, becoming aware as an athletic trainer of that, you know, and even if it's not, um, even if you don't have the technology, if you're at a collegiate setting or high school, whatever it is, if you have a player that's at risk for hamstrings, sit there with a little notepad. And if you see them sprint down the field, have a little mark. <laughs> There's one. Yeah, or or you know, touch base with the coaches because they're going to go back and watch film, or the player themselves. You know, if they're going to go back watch film, you know, hey man, if you don't mind, just try your best. You know, notch down every uh, every sprint that that you had, um, and create some type of of common theme to it. Um, but so back to the original question of how to you know that initial evaluation, it, it's looking at how the, the soft tissue presents itself. Is there a divot? Is there a step off? How their range of motion is both uh, supine with a straight knee as well as, uh, you know, a 90, 90, bringing their, their hip up to 90 degrees and evaluating their knee extension um, range of motion. And, uh, you know, depending on the club, it's having a doctor evaluate, you know, if you have um, musculoskeletal ultrasounds, I think that is, Certainly an up-and-coming technology that you can be used. I know some MLS teams use that. Um, you know, they, they have one in the athletic training room um, to see the tissue quality. And, and at Spurs, or at San Antonio with Spurs, they had a, a great ultrasound machine. And so we were able to utilize that, you know, alongside MRI to evaluate and reevaluate through the process to see, you know, is that, is the the divot in the tissue is that tear healing. What's it look like? Is it, you know, 14 centimeters to 10 to five to two, whatever it is. Um, again, back to having quantitative measures. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you have the technology to do, you know, a a Nordboard test upon preseason arrival or, you know, as we rehab them through testing and retesting and, and using working within the realm Again, respecting the tissue of it may not be a full on Nordic, but are we doing a razor curl or could we just do a a prone isometric hamstring curl? And even if it's not with the technology, if you have a handheld dynamometer or if you have a handheld hand, just see what it feels like. Get used from a clinical standpoint, you know, where is their strength at? You you know, you could use a, a manual muscle test evaluation or go a little bit deeper, you know, zero to 10, you know, perfect mm-hmm. strength is 10 test their other side. And, you know, it feels like a little bit of a two, yeah. you know, it feels more like a four or five. And 
Because I think that one of the the biggest takeaways from these podcasts and sports science seminars and medical seminars is like, how is it actually integratable? Yep. And from a professional standpoint, you know, in the Premier League or the A-League or the NFL, they have, you know, when we were at the Saints, there were seven certified athletic trainers on that staff. Mm-hmm. You know, with this second team, LA2, there's me. <laughs> So if I'm looking at all these different quantitative measures, we could have every every technology under the sun, but what are we actually going to be able to use and then more importantly replicate through a what the USL is a 9 or 10 month season. Yeah. 34 31 weeks of games um with the 5 or 6 week preseason. So, you know, it's got to be something that if you're going to bite it off, be able to chew it and handle you know, the, the integration of it through a season. Yeah. So just being able to realistically implement all this stuff is honestly one of the biggest things. Even if you have whatever technology you have, if you have it or you don't have something, you're just going to have to figure out a system that's realistic and able to implement. Is that kind of what you're saying there? Yeah. And whatever the gold standard is, you know, gold standards for different clubs, it's different. Mm-hmm. And you have some managers, you have some coaches that they want this. And, you know, the Nord board for them is awesome or other people they want, you know, um, what's the other thing, uh, starts with a K that we use, um, Kanga tech using Kanga tech, using that, or, you know, a handheld dynamometer, what you have amazing. Yeah. You know, incredible because there's such a wide spectrum of a variety of what you have and it has nothing to do with your ability as an athletic trainer. Mm-hmm. or a physio or a strength and conditioning coach now utilizing what you have and implementing it that's where i think it really goes a long way yeah of the the keeping up with the joneses you know like yeah. we just don't have that technology or we do so let's utilize it mm-hmm. yeah making best what you have good point with that one um so what if an athlete does come to you with this strength or yeah um this hamstring issue, what would you, what is kind of the main advice you'd give them in the beginning or just um, to kind of walk them, even give them an overview of kind of the, what they're going to feel like and what they're going to progress into um, along this spectrum. Yeah. So I think with any injury and especially with hamstrings, uh, one of my main goals for the athlete is to feel supported, (laughs) is to feel supported (laughs) by the staff around them so that it's, Myself as the athletic trainer, the performance coach, and, you know, sit down, whether it's over lunch or over a treatment session and show them what it's going to look like. You know, um, this is the general progression, you know, after whether they're seeing the physician or not, this is a progression. You know, we're going to look to get your range of motion back. We're going to look to get your strength back, but we can also do some ground contact before that. You know, they don't need to be completely fully you know, strong in order to go on a light jog or a walk even, or Mm -hmm. if you have the pool on a treadmill, you know, an underwater treadmill or in the alter G, you know, we're looking at alter G data. You know, if we put them into a a 30% of their body weight, nothing really changes from, you know, I was looking at this study the other day, nothing changes from a biceps femoris EMG, Mm -hmm. a surface EMG. So, as they go from 30 to 40 to 50 all the way to 100% body weight, the activation of that muscle doesn't really change. Yep. So it's like, okay, well, so they're they're not really going to be deloaded if they're on an ultra G. 
you know, from a hamstring standpoint. So using that of, okay, well then we need to maybe turn the intensity down. Um, but I think that, that a big piece of it upon evaluation is communicating, communicating within the context of where we are in the season, whether it's preseason, off season, whatever it is. And, having the athlete aware because the last thing anyone wants from president general manager to the athlete is a Mm re-injury and with hamstrings you know looking at the re-injury rate of these these injuries is are they going back too soon yeah and are we making sure that we're we're and that's the going back to originally the the concept of having an actual protocol it doesn't have to be a bam, 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 bam. We do every single thing, but having, you know, a, a hamstring exercise continuum and not just sitting down and planning a rehab that morning. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I need to plan that, that program for Patrick. Let's see. Well, he did, you know, hamstring walkouts or some double leg glute bridges. Let's do single leg glute bridges today. But actually sit down and, and provide the athlete the care that they deserve and that we deserve to give them. With the amount of time and effort and study that we've put into our our our, our art, mm-hmm. um, so structuring it out, you know, we, we you know that that gentleman Andy Thompson exercise continuums. If if we have a re injury, if it happens, let's make sure we have everything clear and documented. Where where what did we miss? What did we miss? Was it did we ultrasound for? every week or every two weeks for, uh, from a diagnostic ultrasound, but we missed a week because we were on the road mm-hmm. and we were progressing nicely, but then we didn't do that. Not that the ultrasound would cure it, but the ultrasound gave us another variable to look at. And then we did too much too soon or whatever it was. And, and allowing the athlete to know that as they're progressing, what is the difference between what they're able to feel and supporting them? Look, you know, a three out of 10, when, if we're just jogging, that's okay. A three out of 10, if we're sprinting, maybe a, a little different concern. Yeah. And so I think that through it all, it's just very important to work alongside whatever your staff is structured as mm-hmm. from a physical therapist to an athletic trainer, to a, a scar tissue specialist, whoever you have on staff and utilizing these skill sets of everybody to provide the best athlete-centered model to get this athlete back to play as quickly as possible as well as safely to make the coach happy of getting the athlete back but also being realistic in your expectation of setting a time frame. Mm-hmm. Because for hamstrings and then even as they progress in and, and management, I don't know if you plan on touch on this management of the player that has an at risk injury or has an at risk hamstring, they may need an extra day. You know, if they if match day is Saturday, you know, match day plus one plus two, let's say the players usually get back match day plus two or three into, you know, good training. Yep. What works for this athlete? Do we need to give them an additional day off or of regeneration or, or treatment? Because, you know, from my standpoint, if we give them an extra off day, but it gets them another game day, amazing. Now, if we're yeah. giving them another off day and they're, you know, just taking their time and on vacation, <laughs> a little different. But knowing the athlete and, and treating them all independently within a, a context and protocol that you've set forward with the 
from a coach, you know, medical performance staff, everyone's on the same boat, um, supporting them through that process and what that looks like. Yeah. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Individualizing, but still having a general plan of being able to, to treat this athlete. So a couple more questions here, Cox and time. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing uh, that you touched upon that I, um, I had to do a little research project on hamstrings and a study I came across is um, when they pushed, they did a study when the athletes didn't have any pain through rehab and they did push through a pain about a four out of 10. Yeah. And the, that was one of the risk factors, the bicep femoris long head fascicle length that that shortens um obviously it puts them at a higher risk for re-injury but they um by pushing through this pain out of four to ten they decrease that so i guess i guess pretty much what i'm saying is um if you if you want to maybe touch a little bit upon the how it's okay to kind of push through pain whereas some people might think oh like i'm just hurting it more or something like that yeah so it's certainly you get to work with the athlete mm-hmm. right if we had an ankle sprain, as we touched on earlier, the player may be playing in matches on a five or six out of 10 pain. <laughs> right. And they're going to play because it's my, it's my ankle, man. I'm good to go. But you have yeah. some players that they're not going to, they don't, you know, them consciously don't want to touch the field until it's a zero or one. Yeah. And so it's providing whether it is research, whether it's, you know, having them speak to a past player you've worked with and they were able to get back, you know, to, to play um, with a, a three or four out of 10. It's also having the doctor, if you have a team physician on staff in those conversations, mm-hmm. you know, where the doc originally says, you know, hey, a three or four out of 10 is OK, because oftentimes the player is going to tell you what they want to hear. If they're being conservative and saying, you know, look, Patrick, you know, I, I want to get back, but Doc said I can't play until it's down to a four out of 10. What they're telling you is I'm not going to do anything until my pain has decreased. Yep. And so not constantly butting heads and breaking that trust of like, look, we're trying to get you back to play. And if they're really focused on that four out of 10 pain, mm-hmm. let's, reevaluate and touch on that again like look you know we are able to actually progress and if you're not actually putting that that hamstring at at risk of jogging or you know recreating the mechanism because that's an important thing actually that we didn't touch on is making sure through the return to play process you do touch on the mechanism that bothered them if it was some weird contact where they you know landed forward and into a, a hip flexion that you know, put that fascicle length on stretch, make sure they have the range of motion. If it was an 80 in 85th, 88th minute sprint, well, we need to make sure that we test them in a fatigued state because that's what, what it was. So really, you know, question one that you asked really documenting what the mechanism was, what were their numbers like? What was their acute to chronic load like and seeing, can we build them back up if time permits to see that same, you know, what was baseline pre-injury to now where they are post-injury when we're reintegrating them back in. And with that being said, keeping them within the context of the game with the coach, you know, if they're an end player of a, of a 3v3 possession game and you can put them as a wall, awesome. Yep. So being clear, hey, coach, you know, I, I was thinking Patrick today could, 
you know, take take a, a few minutes in training. You know, he he can do the the warm up with us. He's not going to do the 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 striders that we have planned for him, but. We are actually, I, I think he can do some of the passing. He can do, you know, the block one of whatever you call it, a passing drill, a passing progression. He can do that and keeping him as a part of the team. Now, being cognizant of oftentimes if a coach sees the player in that, does that mean they're a step away from scrimmage? Does that, yeah. you know, it's that boots being business. Yeah. So it's communication and making sure everyone's aware of where the player stands in their return to play. And that, you know, as you said, if they're out of three or four out of 10, can we make it fun for them? You know, a three or four out of 10, if they're sprinting versus a three or four out of 10, if they're doing a passing progression, mm. man, I want to play. I want to get yeah. in touches. So it's supporting them through and making it, finding the common denominator between you and them. If I'm constantly saying, look, if you have a three or four out of 10 pain, you can still run there. They may be hearing, hey, if you're in pain, you can still run. (laughs) Or am I really saying it's okay to have some pain and tolerate it as we're getting back? So kind of meeting them wherever they are and supporting them in their progression because it you could be the best. I could be the best athletic trainer or physio on the planet. But if that athlete is the most hard-headed athlete there is, it doesn't matter how tried and true this program is, it needs to make sense to them. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, just maybe, can we kind of touch, we can kind of combine these two, uh, if you'd like, just kind of your opinions on the two um, or what you guys do. Two things that uh, I've been reading upon more with the hamstring rehab is sprinting earlier and then kind of your isometric versus eccentric exercises for um, the injury and what you guys do or what your opinion is, what you like to do with your athletes with um, kind of these two treatment modality exercises. Yeah. So isometric versus eccentric and then sprint work early on or not. Um, You know, to be completely transparent, the sprint work oftentimes falls within the performance coach. Once they're back on field, you know, we have a, a phased return to play and once yep. they're back on field doing that, that's oftentimes both at San Antonio and um, Galaxy 2, that's, you know, the performance coach, uh, I guess, Roll. play call. Yep. Um, I can speak from a standpoint, you know, first we'll touch on isometrics. With the isometric side of things, if they can do it, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, working isometrically, they can do that at home. They can work on these isometrics often. Um and then building from there, I'm, I'm a believer in, you know, working isometrics, then eccentrics, then concentrics for muscle activation and recruitment of the spindles and fibers. So if we can work eccentrically, and it's been shown to obviously build activation and strength back uh, quicker than concentric, let's work on that. Mm-hmm. And there's levels to eccentric, right? If I'm doing an eccentric prone, that's... And, and their their hips are are in neutral. That's different than if they're seated yep. doing an eccentric hamstring curl because the the muscles you know Stretch. the fascicles are lengthened. Yep. So being cognizant of the positioning and utilizing that to our abilities to rehab and plan for that. Um, I do think that eccentric work really really does help the hamstring 
because oftentimes the the hamstring injury is that eccentric uh, step down phase. So I'm working within there. And then from a, a sprint standpoint, um, getting them back and building up their general load on field and working within their percentages where it's safe and it's not an acceleration, but maybe as they're already running, they start to speed up. Yeah. Um, that's where I found it to be helpful. But, you know, from a medical standpoint, I personally am not going to put them into a plan that has a potential to re-injure them. Yep. Makes sense. So, yeah, I, I it may not be the, the clearest cut answer, um, but that's one of the pieces of, look, in the professional sporting world, there's a person for that. Yep. But it's certainly not something that I'm that I'm not aware of. You know, those conversations happen and look, okay, you know, we're going to build them around, you know, the thing that we have is two sets of 10 minute jogging. Okay. So if they can do that and they're at about a 50 or 60% overall pace, then, you know, maybe we can start to put them up to 65, 70 on restarts. And, you know, if it's a built out five, 10 easy acceleration and they get up to it and, and then, you know, see as it goes. But uh, I think that putting them into a sprint, again, speaking to an athlete, speeding up a run versus sprinting. And also with the coach being cognizant of communication, you know, hey, coach, he did sprints today. True. You know, if I was a coach, that's awesome. (laughs) He sprinted today because sprinting in context is it. You know, especially from a GPS metric, is sprinting an 80, 85% pace or is it a 100? Because there's True. certainly a difference. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so high intensity distance running or he sped up a little, whatever that was, he or she sped up, um, just being clear on what it was. And then also knowing what you're going for, not just blindly throwing darts and knowing that, you know, look, let's say if we're working at a, and this is something Johnny presented on, if it's a 70 meter run and we want them to run around seven or eight meters per second, they need to cover it in 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. So not putting them into that space and expecting a sprint or not expecting a sprint knowing, and and that that's work you can do with math. You don't need uh, any technology. And that's where I think that if we can start to work into, you know, we have a technology, so I'm not currently doing that work, but (laughs) If you don't have the technology, if you're an athletic trainer in the collegiate setting or maybe a lower level pro setting and you don't have GPS, speaking to these people that use it and seeing what were the metrics and variables that they put into practice for the athlete to be there, you know, returning to play and sprinting or running or whatever it is, you know, a a general MAS run and trying it yourself too. You know, I've, I've been the guinea pig of quite a few accelerations <laughs> to see what it actually looks like. So, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. those are all, those are all good points. Um, especially, yeah, just trying yourself. And then with, th- I think like the big thing you said with the communication of sprinting doesn't mean hundred percent, you know, just making sure it's taken into the best context within the athlete and the coach. Um, do you have anything else again to kind of touch on hamstrings? You think we kind of missed upon that, uh, you find really beneficial or important before we, call it here um i think for hamstring it's just test and retest Mm -hmm. whatever you're going to do whatever you have done in the past find something that works for you and do it 
and utilize it and make sure that everyone in these conversations is aware of, you know, for this person, it's going to be a Nordboard test. For this person, it's going to be the dynamometer or it's just a manual muscle test, whatever it is. So you can see where you are in the progression. Because oftentimes when we're, you know, if you're in the frame, it's difficult to see the picture. Yep. So seeing what you're actually trying to work through and using tests or assessments, or even if it's a questionnaire, because mm-hmm. you, because you don't have any technology, you know, <laughs> using something to be done. True. Um, well, thanks. Thanks for all the information, Adam, and appreciate you being on. Uh, I know you briefly touched on um, kind of before this that uh, you're starting kind of your own thing. And then uh, if you do have any place um, where people can uh, follow you uh, for that or just your personal, if you put any information out, if you want to kind of touch on those things before we wrap it up here. Yeah. So um, I'm most easily accessible on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Adam Quigley, uh, A-D-A-M-Q-U-I-G-L-E-Y. Um, yeah. Feel free to message me. Um, you know, my email's on there too, and you can reach out there. Um, yeah, and then also I, I've been um, noticing the the need for additional performance therapy and performance work for general people. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, oftentimes we focus on our jobs, on our careers, which makes a lot of sense. But there's a lot of people out there that could utilize even our our B and C knowledge. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, one of my best friends out here, he had a hamstring strain, but part of his work is dance. He creates dance workshops. So he is out of work yep. because he has, he had like a grade, a grade two hamstring strain. So I've just noticed that like there's, it, it's really been, been promising to, to see the impact we can have within this professional sporting world when we open up our, our blinders to see what exists outside of it. Mm-hmm. So just just supporting people, you know, to to use our skill set and utilize that to get them back to what they're looking for. So yeah, I I uh, started my own um, performance therapy company called uh, Believe Performance Therapy. So BLV um, for being the value and, and the love that we have for the game, the sport, the profession. If you're a performer, artist, um, musician, whomever it is, because there's a lot of work that we're doing out there and. Most most often, unless they're in a proper traditional sporting setting, they don't have the care mm-hmm. or the exposure to athletic trainers, to physios, to sports scientists, and just you know, noticing even if it's an hour here or there, you know, we can really create a lot of change in the world that uh, oftentimes we don't even open up to. Yeah, awesome. Do you have any Do you have any place to follow you for that yet, or are you still kind of coming out? It's It's all just going to be through my personal. Okay, perfect. At this point, yeah. All right, we can put. Yeah, those. thanks we'll for put, asking. Yeah, no problem. We, we can put those in the show notes um, so people can kind of reach out there. But yeah, thanks again, Adam, for being on. Appreciate all the information. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Patrick Wood. <laughs>